Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today we're going to finish our series, Airplane Mode, for the past uh, six weeks. Uh, We've been talking about how busy the world is, how hectic things are. We're always being bombarded with messages and we're always distracted. And the challenge of of deepening our relationship with God in the midst of always being connected when we need to just unplug, tune out the world, and tune into God Uh, We've talked about the importance of silence and solitude. We've talked about engaging with the Bible. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about worship, small groups. And today we finish this series by talking about serving God and others. You know, serving God and others is really the outcome of a Christian life. It's what you do. You serve the Lord and you serve others. Uh, There's no greater example of a servant than Jesus Christ. He taught that the greatest people are those who serve, and he even said the last will be first, and he said that he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, But if you're like me, many times when we think of serving, we think of Jesus, you know, serving all the way to the cross, and we think of serving as something that's big, you know, and we think of it as a big moment, a big opportunity. But I love the way one, di- one guy described it. He says, we think of um, serving the Lord as like taking $1,000 and putting it on the table and saying, Lord, it's all yours. You know, it's, it's all yours. We think of serving like that when he says many times uh, the reality is he sends it to the bank to get $1,000 worth of quarters, and then we spend the rest of our lives, 25 cents here, 50 cents there, serving in little things, doing, doing small acts of kindness. And he says, usually giving our life to Christ uh, is like that, little acts of love, 20 cents at a time. And that's what serving is really like. It, it never ends. It never stops. It's doing the little things and doing them well. You know, one night a uh, shoemaker dreamed that the next day Jesus was going to come and visit his shop. The dream was so real when he woke up the next day that he began to clean up and decorate his shoe shop. He waited all morning, but to his disappointment, uh, it remained quiet, except for an old man who limped uh, through the door asking to come in for a few minutes to get warm. And while he sat there, he noticed this old gentleman had worn out shoes. So before he left that day, he made sure that he gave him a pair of brand new shoes and sent him on his way. That afternoon, the shoemaker waited some more, but his only visitor was an elderly woman. She was struggling, carrying a heavy load, and he invited her in to his shop, and he saw that she was hungry. He gave her a meal, and then she went on her way. As evening began to fall, the shoemaker heard a child crying outside his door. The child was lost and afraid, so he went out and calmed them down and and took them to their home. When he returned, he was sad. He was convinced he'd missed the Lord. And so in anguish, he cried out, Lord, why uh, did you not come today? Uh, Have you forgotten? And the Lord spoke to him and said, Lift up your heart, for I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. 
I was the woman you gave food to eat, and I was the child on the street. You know, that story reminds me of the Scripture where Jesus described uh, in Matthew 25, uh, in the end, he will, he will separate the sheep from the goats. Listen to what He said in Matthew 25. Uh, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He'll put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And this is what He says, For I was hungry, and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took Me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did uh, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me which goes to show that when it comes to serving God, we serve God by serving others. And it's the little things throughout our day, throughout our week, that make all the difference in the world. No wonder the Bible tells us, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you'll receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. And that is so true. We are serving the Lord wherever we are. Donald Whitney wrote about spiritual disciplines, and he says this about serving others and serving the Lord. He says, To serve the Lord with gladness is every Christian's commission. In God's kingdom, no one is spiritually unemployed or retired. Now that's so good, i got to read that again. In God's kingdom, no one is spiritually unemployed or retired. Everyone is gifted to serve with the goal of being more like Jesus. If we don't discipline ourselves to serve for the sake of Christ and His kingdom, we'll serve only occasionally or when it's convenient or self-serving, and the result will be a quantity and quality of service that we'll regret when the day of accountability for our service comes. That is so true. We're all going to stand before God someday, and we're going to be accountable with what we did or didn't do with what He gave us. And so let's be faithful and serve the Lord and serve others. Now, there's a lot of passages we could look, look in in the Bible, but there's one that stands out to me the most. It's Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, where um, Jesus is talking to His disciples. They had been um, you know, wondering who was the greatest and all these things. And in Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them over. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we really don't think about being a servant. We don't think about being a slave. But Jesus gets our attention with those terms, does He not? He says, if you want to be great, be a servant. He says, uh, 
If you want to be first, be a slave. And then he points to himself, just as the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve. So he models the example for you and I. I love the way John Maxwell years ago described it. He called it basin theology. You know what a basin is, a little uh, container that you can wash things in. There's a basin in the Gospels, when you read the Gospels in the Bible. There's a basin that shows up twice, actually. One is when Pontius Pilate uh, brings out Jesus, and the people say, crucify him, and he brings out a basin, and he washes his hands as if to say, I have nothing to do with this, trying to absolve himself of responsibility. The other occasion of a basin theology is a little bit before that, when Jesus was still with his disciples, and uh, they have a, a time and a place to meet in an upper room to have the, the uh, Passover together. It's the last one they'll have with him because he'll ultimately be crucified. And they get to the upper room, and there's no servant there to wash their feet. And as they're all standing around, real awkward, looking around, wondering, you know, what do we do here? Jesus begins to get a towel. He gets the basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And so this idea of basin theology, will you renounce responsibility, or will you resolve to serve others? That's really what the issue is when it comes to you and I. And, and the other thing I want to point out when I think of Scripture is Romans chapter 6. Uh, when you read Romans chapter 6, the passage that I'm about to read to you, you will realize that every single one of us is a slave. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Well, spiritually speaking, every single one of us is a slave. According to the Bible, we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness. Look in Romans 6, verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be a slave of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved of God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. So think about that. Paul uses an analogy to describe the difference between someone who does not know the Lord and someone who does know the Lord. Someone who does not know the Lord is a slave to sin. They may not know that, they probably don't realize that, but the Bible was written to speak to us about our true condition of, of where we are, 
why we need God and how we can receive God in our life and what He wants to do in and through our lives. And so when we don't know the Lord, we're a slave to sin. We do what we want to do. We're not going to let anybody tell us what to do. We want to do what we want to do. And, you know, it's like the proverb says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, what? It leads to death. You know, sin can make us rationalize things. And so we become a slave to sin and we become, you know, addicted, if you will, to the things that we do. And yet, if we're saved, we've been set free from our sin and now we're a slave to righteousness. And now we do what we do because we love the Lord. We want to honor the Lord. We want to obey the Lord. We can't imagine doing anything else. And then Paul plays out the outcome of those two lifestyles. He says, look, now that you have come to know Christ, look back at the life you used to live. Why is it that you're ashamed of the things you used to do? Because you were a slave to sin. But now look at the fruit in your life. It is the fruit of eternal life. What a difference that makes. So what I want to share with you today is simple. I want to give you three reasons why we should serve God and serve others. I could talk about, you know, serving, but I want to, I want to nail the why. Because some of you might not be convinced. You might say, well, I like doing what I do. So let's look at three reasons why we should serve God and others. Number one is the moment of salvation. I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. It says, and he died, referring to Jesus, for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. I love that. In other words, when I come to the foot of the cross, when I give Christ my life, everything changes. My motivation changes. Everything changes because I look at the one who died for me and now I want to offer my life and live for him. How could I do anything else? How could I do anything less? And so when you and I look at the cross, when, in, in, in that moment of salvation, when we come to know Jesus Christ, when we realize the one who loved us, who died for us, who paid the price for our salvation, how can we not, out of gratitude, live a life that serves Him and no longer live for ourselves, but live for Him? I would submit to you that when we examine our life, when we look at our testimony, the fact that we can, if we can go back to a moment of salvation and say, I've been saved, I've been changed, the Lord is in my life, that is the game changer. That is the biggest reason why we should serve God and serve others is because of gratitude. You know, growing up, I saw a lot of people serve out of guilt and out of God, obligation. But when you truly understand that God loves us and that He has saved us by His grace, it's nothing we could do to deserve it, and yet He has these, uh, this, these good works planned for you and I. You know, we do good works. We're supposed to be devoted to good works. That's what the book of Titus says. We're supposed to be devoted to good works, not to be saved, but because we're saved. We let our light shine. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We are God's people, and we serve Him by serving others. And so this moment of salvation is the biggest reason why you and I should serve God and others. But let me give you two more. Number two is the mindset of a servant. 
In Philippians 2, what a challenging scripture it is. But it points us to Christ and how we should follow His example. In Philippians 2, verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, I love this. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, many times Paul uh, writes like that. Instead of saying Jesus Christ, we're used to seeing, saying Jesus Christ, he'll flip it and say Christ Jesus. When he says Christ Jesus, he's emphasizing the divinity of the Son of God. And so here he's saying adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who was in heaven with the Father and yet he humbled himself and he came to earth and he lived and walked among us and he humbled himself. He experienced our humanity and he took the form of a servant and he humbled himself by being obedient even to uh, death on a cross, being treated like a criminal, even though he didn't do anything wrong. That is the mindset of a servant. Many times we go, I don't know if I can do that. Well, look at Jesus. Look at what he did. He did not exploit the fact that he was with the Father. He did not see it as something that was beneath him. He willingly humbled himself. And he took upon himself the mindset of a servant. And you know what? I believe that's one reason why we should serve God is we are to develop a mindset of a servant. Our Lord and Master, if he did that for us, you know, no no student is above his uh, teacher. No uh, servant is above his master. And so if the master and our teacher, if he models that, then so should we. And so we are to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus humble ourselves and serve others and take upon the mindset of a servant. Uh, uh, He goes on there in Philippians 2, uh, because many times we can look at that and go, well, come on, preacher, that's Jesus. Give Give me somebody with some skin that I can relate to. Well, I'll give you two, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Look in Philippians 2, go on down to verse 19. He says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. And so here... Here he is pointing to Timothy. Timothy is someone that is like-minded, who genuinely cares about others, and he's willing to serve. He has served alongside Paul in the gospel ministry like a son with his father. And then you have Epaphroditus in verse 25. 
But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And for this reason, I'm very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in great honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So here is, you know, Timothy, who had the mindset of a servant. Here is Epaphroditus, who has a mindset of a servant. His mindset is simply to serve the Lord and to serve others, and he doesn't think about the cost. He doesn't think about the price that he'll have to pay or the cost of what it will cost him to do this. He simply does it out of love and gratitude, and I believe that God wants us to do the same. The third and final reason why we should serve God and serve others, we've talked about the moment of salvation, we've talked about the mindset of a servant, and what about our mission of service? I love Romans 12, and uh, I won't even read the my favorite part, which is the first two verses, but in Romans 12, verse 3, for by the grace given to me, says Paul, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, Paul is saying, look at the grace of God that's been given to you. Look at the measure of faith that you, that you have towards the Lord. Look at the gifts that He has given you. And don't worry about somebody else. You know, we're used to competition. We're used to sports. We're always aware of what we can do, what the other person can do. We're always sizing ourselves up. But in the kingdom of God, we all stand in grace. We all are there by grace through faith, and we all have been received. We've all received a gift. And we got to know whose we are and who we are in Christ and simply use our gift to serve Him and serve others. And when we do that, We don't get caught up in competing. We don't get caught up in comparing. We simply uh, enjoy the mission of serving God and serving others, being able to take something that God has given to us and give it back to Him in a way that blesses Him and blesses other people. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter 4. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, just use what God has given you to minister others and to bless His name. Just do that. Don't worry about anything else. You know, I I used to worry about when I was younger what I couldn't do. 
Now I want to focus on what God has enabled me to do and do it with all my might and give Him the glory. Because why should we do anything less? Why should we do something else? I want to encourage you today to think about why we should serve God. I mean, when you get saved, you spent all your life living for yourself. Now you realize someone loved you. He gave His Son. He died on that cross for you. He paid the price for your salvation. How can you not live for Him after you've lived for yourselves for so long? So we have that. We have the moment of salvation. We have the mindset of a servant. Look at our Lord. He washed our disciples' feet. And He left an example for us to follow. He humbled Himself. He didn't wait to be served. He took upon Himself the initiative to serve. And you and I need that same mindset. And then, of course, our mission to serve others. I mean, think about it. God has gifted you with things. He's given you grace. He's given you faith. He's given you a spiritual gift. And He wants you to use that to minister to others and to bless Him. And you know what? One of these days, we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of what He gave us and what we did with it. Have you faithfully used what He gave you to serve Him and serve others. I want to go back to that Romans 6 passage and go just a little deeper this time where it talked about how everybody's a slave, either to sin or to righteousness. Paul said in Romans 6, 19, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now... Offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you've been set free from sin and you've become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. And then we read this next verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's, that, uh, that verse there kind of sums it up, does it not? Are you and I a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? You know, if we're depending on ourselves to get to heaven someday, if we're trying to do enough good works and enough good deeds to somehow you know, deserve something, to impress God, to earn our own way. I want to tell you that it'll never work because Romans here says the wages of sin is death. When you and I are living life our way on our own terms, we prove that we're a sinner and we're trying to do things our way and we are a slave to sin. The Bible tells us that. And the wages of sin, in other words, sin pays and it pays something, and that payment is death. It's a road that leads to nowhere. But then it says eternal life is a gift. Now, I don't know about you, any gift that I've ever received was paid by somebody. Think about that for a minute. You, you know, you're a little kid, you, you get up on Christmas morning, and you see those Christmas presents, and they don't cost you anything, but somebody paid for them. You have a birthday. Somebody surprises you with a, a gift. Uh, they, they paid for that to give it to you. Doesn't cost you a thing, right? 
Now, we, we know that gifts are free because they're free to the one who receives them, but they were still bought and purchased by someone. And that's what I want you to see, is that the, the, the gift of God is eternal life. He is willing to give you eternal life. It's a gift. It doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is be willing to believe and receive, and it is a gift. But it's not without cost or price. Someone paid for it, and I can tell you who. His name is Jesus. He came. He lived. He died. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. And He purchased our salvation with His own life, with His own blood. So that anybody that is willing to come to Him, turn from their sins and put their trust in Him, can receive eternal life and be saved. Isn't that good? And that's why you and I should be willing to serve God is look what He did for us. And so today, I just want to ask you this question. We've talked about why serving. I'm not worried about the how, because when you look around, as Danny said, there's always a need out there. At any time, just like uh, sitting on the bench of a sporting event, at any time you can look around and you can go from being an observer to a server, just look around at the needs around you and, 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 and take a, a step of initiative and encourage somebody, help somebody, love someone, do something to be involved and serve them. That's how you can do it. But I wanted to give you the why. But let's back up as we close this thing out this morning and ask a fundamental question. Are you an observer or a server? How about a little bit deeper? Are you a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? Everybody's a slave to something. You might say, nobody tells me what to do. I do what I want to do, and I defy anybody to tell me what to do or how to live. You may think that, but I want to tell you that the Bible says you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. When you're a slave to sin, you're going to live a life of regret and it's going to earn you a wage, and that wage will kill you because it's death. But if you're a slave to righteousness, you can look back at your old life and say the things that I used to be ashamed of, they've been forgiven by God. And now by His grace, I know whose I am. I know who I am in Christ. I know that He's given me grace. I know that He's given me a gift, and I want to use it to bless Him and to minister to others. I can't think of a better way to live. Years ago at my first church that I pastored, I remember talking to some of them about, you know, if you, if you could live life any way you would, what would you do? And I love what a retired pastor said. He said, you know, he says, even if God wasn't real, and he knew he was, but just for argument's sake, he says, even if God wasn't real, I would still want to love God and love people. I would still want to follow the Bible because there's, there's no better way to live than that. And you know what? He's absolutely right. Because there is a God in heaven. He is real. He loves you and me. He sent His Son to die on the cross. And now He's saying, are you going to be a slave to sin any longer? Or are you going to be a slave to righteousness? Because here's the thing. Jesus don't let it scare you because, you know, Paul said he was a slave to Christ. And you might say, well, that's bad marketing, but it's the truth. Because Jesus said, come to me and take my yoke upon you. And my, burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when he comes into our life, it's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. 
It, it's not like that. We, we love Him and we serve Him out of gratitude. So let's all stand. Musicians, if you would come, we're going to have a time of invitation. Father, we come before you today. Thank you, Father, for this time that we can worship you. Lord, thank you for this time that we've heard your word. And Lord, I pray today, God, that you would speak to each and every heart. And Father, I pray if there's someone right now that realizes they're a slave to sin, that they've been, they've been depending on their own works, and now they realize that wage is going to lead to death. Father, I pray that today would be the day that they turn from living like that and put their trust in you and follow you. Father, I pray that today would be that moment where they draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm not looking back. Lord, I pray that you would have your will and way in our lives today. Lord, help us to remember that moment of salvation. Help us develop a mindset of a servant. And Lord, help us be on mission to serve you and serve others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.